Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold, and Conscious Construction starts right now. Welcome to this week's episode where we're doing a three-part series on self-love. Stick with this next podcast. We did have a bit of a run-in with the leaf blower for the first about 30 seconds, but don't worry, the rest of the episode is high-quality audio and you're not going to want to miss this one. Hey everybody, welcome to The Modern Good. I'm here today with Anton Mackey and Amy Solara, and they're both healers in their own right and I've had the pleasure of working with them in not only a teaching capacity but getting to know them in a friendship capacity and I wanted to bring them on the show today to talk individually about what their personal experience has been with self-love but also how some of that changed when they came together in the sacred union and uh, I will be heading over to Anton first since he's got to go teach a class and he's nice enough to come here the crack of dawn to come share his story. So, Anton, welcome. Thank you for having us. It's a, it's an honor to be be here, but also just to be um, kind of working with you in, in all these different capacities. So, self-love. Um, I think I have a, a very different route which got me into self-love than most people. You hear lots of stories about having a hard time loving yourself or gaining confidence, and I think it started off the other way with me. Uh, being an only child, um, I was always given positive reinforcement, and told how cute I was and how talented I was, especially as a little guy. I was very, very, still am, very small. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't changed much. Um, I was very, very small growing up. So at the age of like five, I looked like a three-year-old. So people were just astonished at all the words I could say and the things I could do, but it's because I was five. So um, I was always kind of looking, looked at as an overachiever uh, based on my size. Um, that also put me in a position of being an only grandchild as well from one side. It was just constant love and attention. And then I found uh, at a young age, about the age of 10, gymnastics. And when I got into gymnastics, it's really all about you. Yeah, Although you're on a team, it's really a, a self-centered sport uh, competition. We're starting to pick up on a little bit of a trend here. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's uh, all about it. <laughs> it's all about me. Um, so then it was now more about being in the stage, being focused on everyone watching you and giving you praise if, if you do well. And I did pretty well as a young gymnast. Um, so I was always getting uplifted constantly. So I probably thought a little higher of myself than uh, maybe even most, uh, of course, but most. Um, and then I guess what happened as I got older and involved with, as people kept growing and I didn't, I was smaller uh, uh, constantly. And in sports, I always had to prove myself and kind of um, almost fake it till you make it type thing. And I remember one of the things that I recognized as I got into yoga practice and understood the chakras is what I did to compensate for being insecure by being smaller or little or looking younger is I, I would overcompensate in my posture. So as most people, especially like tall girls, would stand up who are really tall, they hunch forward around their shoulders. I learned to do the complete opposite. I would puff off my chest and stand <laughs> tall, make my pecs look bigger, make myself look bigger um, to kind of you know, think that I, was, I would fit in better or you know, belong. 
So that was kind of my uh, my way of compensating for being insecure. Because learning now, of course, as I'm getting older, learning how it really is just hiding insecurities of being smaller, looking younger, uh, maybe not being as strong as some people, um, I would compensate in that way. Can I ask a question just for our audience to kind of give it some context since most of the listeners have been listening to the episode sequentially? How much of your experience of inadequacy do you think you were conscious of versus how much of it do you think was just you kind of naturally doing something to go against how you were being perceived? Uh, yeah, it was totally natural. And going against has always been kind of my thing. You know, within me, the Aquarian, there's this idea that I want to rebel or do something different. And I always tried to be different in some way to stand out. Um, to be noticed because uh, that I am now realizing was my addiction. You know, we all have our different addictions and my addiction was attention and being uh, recognized and, and doted over and loved. So I would uh, naturally, it just kind of came that way where I would literally just do these things to overcompensate. And I, then I used, you know, my words a lot to, to make myself sound bigger, look bigger. Um, and I think over time when, when you do those things, you come across as being, cocky or overconfident, um, which there's something I want to touch on about that here in a second, but um, when most kids are insecure or not thinking they're good enough, I probably thought I was better than I actually really was at everything. Uh, Probably better looking than I really am, uh, more athletic than I was, faster, stronger, all those things in my mind I had implemented, and probably with my mom's conditioning as well, that you are the best, you're better than everybody, and you know, in this way to uplift me because she didn't want me to be insecure, it kind of tilted the scales the other way, and probably became, I became a little cocky at times, Um, but then the shift started happening, and I was like, no, I just actually like myself. I was like, wait, I, I can look in the mirror like, hey, I am decent looking or I am athletic or I am what these things are. And I walked around and I acted like it. And at first, my whole thought was um, the difference between cockiness and confidence and liking yourself is when you walk around knowing you're the shit, you're confident. When you walk around thinking that your shit is better than everyone else's shit, you're cocky. And I was always kind of walking that line and trying to figure that out. Um, and then nowadays, you see... Um, people who are, are self-loathing and uh, you know, that, that's humility. Whereas if you boast about yourself, or if you feel good about an accomplishment or something you've done or who you are, that's arrogance. And I think it's only because the world is insecure as a whole. Totally agree. It's so definitely a social could, construct. Right. Like I would probably guess when you met me, you probably, you saw this, you saw through it, but you also saw like a confident person because okay. you're confident in yourself because you're not insecure. But if you're insecure, yeah, I never, I never saw you as what I've, and I'm obviously I've also gotten this feedback about mm-hmm, myself, mm-hmm. so <laughs> not to point fingers, but I had heard about your reputation when I met you. I was like, he just seems pretty grounded and secure to me. But I've also had the same feedback about being cocky or boastful or ego driven or whatever about myself. I, I think one of the things that is interesting on the topic of how this kind of like self loathing has been synonymous with humility. Think about how many times people are just programmed. If you give them a compliment, they're like, oh, no, stop, right? Like, it's almost like you have to push the compliment away to not be a jerk. But then think about, I mean, a lot of times people say something to me, I'm like, thank you. And they're like, it's almost like they're taken aback. Like, you just took that. Like, you're so arrogant. (laughs) Well, then why did you say it in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So how do you think we start to shift that? Uh, Just 
I mean, self-acceptance and how do you find self-acceptance is just stop trying to be like everyone else. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest problem is we've been uh, through society and through commercialism and through materialism to be told this is what's cool, this is what isn't cool. Your face has to look like this, your body has to look like this, you have to wear these clothes, and this is what fits in the norm. And the ability to step outside of that and be like, well, I actually like the way this looks with this, or I actually feel good when I'm doing this, and then not being so concerned with what people think. And, you know, we're in a time now where different is cool, but then different becomes the same very quickly. Exactly. Just very go to quickly. Portland, Oregon. Oh, right? Totally. Or we're tattoos, so different know? that we're exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, for me, tattoos. I got mm-hmm. a tattoo in 1997, and there wasn't, you know, the craze of tattoos. I wanted to be different, so I kept getting more and more and more. Now, I blend in with everybody else with sleeve tattoos. If you don't have a sleeve tattoo, like, you're different. You know? Yeah. Not having tattoos is, is more rare. Um, so that, that was that. But... Underneath all this, there was always times where my lack of self-love would show up, and it was in relationships. All my relationships. And just as a segue to people that have watched the previous episodes, we talked about how people have a tendency to have their core wound show up either in intimate relationships or in friendships, but very rarely in both. So that's... And mine can't showed up in to, both. Can't wait to hear more. For sure, yeah, definitely in both. And I can go back as far as, like, third grade, which was the first time liking girls Tammy Beeson third grade and then it started from there and it was this constant wanting approval so buying of gifts to try and keep them to like me because they they, they innate, innately liked me but then I would have to like try and hold on to that out of insecurity and then uh, my high school girlfriend uh, Danielle who was this incredible soccer player super popular and she was just really awesome and you know she fell for me but then she all of a sudden discovered all my insecurities because I was afraid of losing her and then it kept mm. going and going and then um, one of my biggest pivotal relationships was with a, a woman um, who I'm friends with today and, and she had a daughter and then uh, she saw this constant confident guy that she fell for and then my insecurities would kick in and jealousy would come up and then it would spread into my friendship so if my friends were friends with my girlfriends then I'd get jealous of my friends being with my you know mm-hmm. trusted friends uh, friends who would never do that to me um, so it really would spread out a lot and then I got married if you were to try to like, in a one-sentence synopsis, summarize what the fear was. What was the fear? So I'm here to ask the tough question. Yeah, yeah, I have to go into that and feel into it. So the fear that I would lose their affection and admiration, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy because I've never not had it from anyone. Like, it, my parents gave it. My friends gave it. But that, I mean, that's why you don't want to lose it because it, it's almost like you don't know who you are without that. So yeah. the thought of it diminishing or being gone is it, it's right. in some way wrapped up in your sense of who you Which are. Which is, and today I can feel that. Which way. is, by the way, I think where the present getting thing comes from because as mm-hmm. you were talking about, like, I would have to keep it going. Oh man, I still it's like my kids. Yeah. I mean, I'm like really projecting it on them. Like, no, I'm not doing Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have room. Um, but then I got married, and then as I was doing deeper spiritual work with my partner, who again is now a dear friend of mine, uh, my ex-wife, um, we we were starting to see these things come up and my insecurities. And a lot of it, I started to realize, had to do with living in my masculine, divine masculine or not. And that played a pivotal role as understanding, okay, am I in my divine masculine? 
no, okay, cool. That's when I drop into my insecurity space. Mm -hmm. If I step into my divine masculine and I'm holding space in that way, then that stuff doesn't come up. But we had to get divorced for that to see that more clearly. And then it was trying to explore, okay, and I would still go back into my patterns of looking for attention constantly. So it was constantly one person after another trying to get that validation until I met Amy. And that's when it all changed. So before we, before we shift over to that Mm -hmm. segue, how would you define divine masculinity and why do you think it's a concept that is so challenging for a lot of guys to wrap their brain around? I think it's challenging as a whole because so many people are resistant to duality, this idea of masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's on an energetic level. And once we understand that, then we can have a greater acceptance for it. And if you study the yoga practice with the, the channels and the nadis and understanding the masculine, the feminine, the yin and the yang, then you can be more open to the duality of it and recognize that we all have within us both. And that they're not really synonymous at all with gender. I had to get into this. Not, I mean, it was a loving argument on my part, but I was teaching a seminar at Kripalu and somebody who clearly was, you know, not gender specific at this point and non-binary she took huge offense to the shocker system. I was like, listen, this is not about like social yeah, yeah. gender construct. It's about different types of energy. And I would imagine that if you're somewhere, you identify somewhere in between, that also has to do with a very specific mm-hmm. concoction of your masculine feminine energy. Yeah, and I've always been able to tap into my feminine. Uh, being around women is always more comfortable. My dad is a very sensitive man who taught me you know, things uh, about, you know, I was against war, against violence. Against the whole tough guy thing just wasn't in my being. Um, but then I recognized that there is an aspect of the masculine that is strong and holding space and being grounded and making decisions and uh, being there in a way. I would drop into my emotional state with most of my relationships when what the woman needed me is to be holding space for her to be. Oh, let me say that my partner, not woman or man, could be either, needed me to hold that space so they could feel the emotion and let that happen. And still, even today, um, there's moments where I realize I'm trying to solve, which is the typical masculine energy thing to do, solve the problem, when really Amy just wants me to listen to her problem. And then instead of me getting emotional with her, I should just be present for it. And it's really just about being, I think, what the masculine is. It's the energy within us all, man and woman gay, straight, or in between, to be fully present, to be more decisive, to be more direct. Um, and, and I guess that's the whole idea of what holding space is, is being able to make a dis- confident decision and be okay with it being the wrong decision. That's the other part where men fail, I think, is because we get so stuck in our ways that this has to be this way. But you make a decision and be open to the fact that, that decision may have to change. Well, and even something that you perceive to be wrong in the moment might actually be teaching you something massive about yourself and on your soul journey. It's really just a judgment of us to even say right or wrong. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how, when we think about this experience of self-love, and we obviously heard a little bit about what your journey has been, what are some tools or things that you find yourself leaning into when you're not necessarily wavering, but feeling like your self-love, you can feel it kind of drifting versus how do you bring it back in and make it on the forefront of what you're personal level, For me, I have to let go of other people. And it's really easy to figure out, and I get to work this constantly on a weekly basis with yoga classes that I teach, the number of people that show up. That's my biggest lesson, and it's constant repeating. So knowing that I taught an incredible class with four people in it yesterday Mm -hmm. and everyone got something out of it and everyone was really present. 
And that doesn't, the number of people who are there aren't dictating how great of a yoga teacher I am or how much I'm showing up or how present I can be or what I'm offering. So for me, it's a weekly lesson that I get. And I know when I'm not listening, the numbers will drop and I'll have to like, okay, this isn't about me. That's the other thing is we make everything about ourselves. When I stop and realize that who likes my class, who doesn't like my class, who comes to my class, who doesn't come to my class, I need to not be so self-centered and think it's all about me. They have lives outside of me and maybe energetically we're just not vibing and that's fine. So it's letting go of the attachment to other people and how they react to what I'm doing. And again, with the yoga is where I can do it the most is like just knowing that every time I show up and teach yoga class, it's badass. People will ask me, it's funny, studio, uh, people work at the front desk of studio, like, how was class? And I'm like, well, honestly, I think it was fucking amazing every time. But I truly believe that. I feel like I bring amazing classes over time, so I'm biased to that. And it's just remembering, you're showing up, you're doing what you can, you're, you're giving your, your all, and who, how they receive it is not your thing, right? If you're truly trying to be this channel of divine energy, then you can't have an expectation of the outcome of it, even though we, we do every time we go in. So for the listeners that, again, are listening to these sequentially, if you go back to the shifting into consciousness lecture, we talk about how as you're evolving in these stages of consciousness, where I think a lot of people, especially in Western civilization, get stuck is in level three consciousness, which is effectively, this is who I am, this is who you are, and what I'm defining you as means something about me. Projection. Right? Yeah, it's that projection, reflection, like whatever I've defined you as means something about me so I think it's really interesting that even in that scenario as you've said like this is how I'm getting through that almost like solar plexus blockage Mm -hmm. it's to just say like we are which is level four consciousness where it doesn't the reflection part doesn't matter Mm -hmm. whatever's going on in your life is going on in your life what's going on like I threw it down I gave my all and that's really what matters and that's moving through that level of consciousness which is interesting you brought up the the third chakra solar plexus and I've had stomach issues my entire life so I, the other thing I found is that I always had a six-pack, and that was blocking and protecting what was mm-hmm. really going on deep on the, in the lower level of my solar plexus area, my, of my chakras, that I was using muscles and a look to perceive strength and stability in an area that was extremely weak, having digestive issues my whole life, showing me, oh, wait a minute, you're still not living in your truth always. You're not holding on to your strongest belief system. And Wow. Yeah. The body's pretty incredible yeah, in that way. And a lot of people will do the opposite. They'll gain a bunch of fat or they'll hunch forward. And I, I did the complete opposite was ripped abs and puff up the chest. Well, and that's even Sand when we look tall. at like chakra and balance, there's, you can go right. too far to one side, right? Like overexert the chakra or you mm-hmm. diminish the energy and you go into a deficit. So, yeah. I mean, both of them. All the same. Don't make for a, a super yeah. amazing life if you keep them out of balance in that way. So I know that, Anton, you need to start running. Um, where can people look up what you're doing, where you're doing workshops and going so to my festivals? website is just antonyoga.com. Pretty simple. And then antonyoga11 on, on Instagram, although I'm not super active in the Instagram. Um, but, I, you know, I do want to come back real quickly to, since we are moving on to my partner, Amy, uh, what changed is when I met Amy, um, I received a, a sense of love that I've never felt before uh, from her. Um, I'm not even talking about it. Um, the way she looks at me, the way she looked at me that first time that we, we first met, which is a whole other 
podcast in itself. And we'll, we'll do it. Uh-huh. I've heard the story and it's, it's worth um, sharing with the world. But there was this reassurance that she was going to be there and she loved me unconditionally from the get-go. And we actually sat in a plant medicine ceremony together and I was kind of like secretly that was my like is this the right decision that's what like my intention was like is this the right person what the hell are you doing you know you just met this person you're supposed to be with her forever now and I remember sitting in the ceremony thinking if it would be any other woman by my side I'd be wondering what they were thinking if they're still into me if they're judging are they not liking me anymore but with Amy I felt this just like in the corner of my eye this radiating love and there was just no doubt there was no doubt that that she loved me, and I like from that point on. I just I just know that, and she she does the things also to, to make me feel that way constantly. And thanks, babe. I love you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's it too. Is that she reassures me, and especially when I'm going into my my lower level, she can feel me dropping out of my highest self. She still stays strong, and uh, she knows how to step up for me on that. So that's when I shift from Parvati to Kali. <laughs> love that right yeah. yes and I think that's one of the things that we even talked about on the previous episode about relationships having somebody that is on the journey with you and knows the deep dark places and knows what the light looks like mm-hmm. they can help hold that space for you in opposition to make sure like hey you're going to that place again instead of being unconscious of it and starting to react, react. to that place because yeah. that's usually how people end up in relationship drama totally is the reaction state so thank you anton for joining us i'm gonna take it away with your awesome beautiful thank you so much it's an honor to do stuff with you see you later babe so i'm here with amy hi amy now and amy solara i have to say I was thinking about it even this morning when I was just struggling in my bathroom to get ready and try to get here on time. There's something about you, like, if I were to imagine what a sacred woman looks like, you guys have to meet her. She's just, from the moment I met you, there's just everything about you is this, like, embodiment of sacred feminine energy. And it really just feels to me like you've carried forward so much sacred knowledge and I don't even know how much of it you've even, I feel like you've kind of just scratched the surface of it. I'm just like tapping into this massive pool that I didn't know existed. And it's just, it's exciting to be in your life because I know that it's about to start rapidly unfolding and you can really just, you can feel it. When I see you be a mom with your kids, there's just, there's this calming, grounding energy that I've literally never seen with another mom. And your kids are lucky to have you. Yeah. Anton's lucky to have you. And you guys are lucky to have Amy on the show because she's got, she's got a really interesting story and background. And um, I'd like to get as deep into it as you can. Like, obviously, don't you don't need to hold anything back or edit yourself out. Um, what has? How would you first describe self love? Hmm, this is like such an important topic to me. I've spent so many days trying to define what like what that even means. What does self-love mean? I, I think like, okay, what does love mean? And that alone is hard to define. Like if I love someone, I would do anything for them, right? I would not ignore their flaws, but acknowledge them. And if they want to work on them, help them with that. And if not, just hold space that it's there and accept them as they are and that it's part of their beauty and part of their individuality. I would um, 
want them to feel the love all the time. So I would show it in a way that they're able to receive it. Um, so many things like that. So if I'm describing loving other people that way, how can I turn that around on myself? How can I show my mind, my body, my soul the same regard and the same care and the same kind of affection? And I think most people might hit on one or two of those. Like, okay, self-love means I get to take a really nice bath and I... Um, like sleep in silk sheets or something like mm-hmm. their body feels nice or self-love is going to yoga because it's opening up my consciousness or self-love is going to the gym because I'm keeping my body healthy and fit so when I'm 80 I can still play tennis or whatever it is um, but they don't do the holistic perspective and I think a lot of people that I've encountered um, use it as almost an abuse like oh I need to make sure I don't eat these 10 things because I'm like honoring myself and this and that but it's they're really in denial in a sense Mm -hmm. Um, or the other way around they're letting themselves eat all kinds of cake and donuts and all these things because they're like well I deserve a treat and I'm showing myself self-love and it's like but you're wrecking your body um or they're, they're letting themselves binge watch television and they're not accomplishing the things they want to do in life because they're just on the couch. Um, and I think the more that I explore what self-love looks like to me, the more I'm able to see the points where I was using it as an excuse as opposed to actually embodying the love. So I think just to kind of mirror this back, it sounds like there are aspects to it that you think people use as fuel to overindulge versus mm-hmm. on the flip side of that when we're talking about that spectrum of like yeah. a deficit to something that's too much then people also use it to restrict when really it's somewhere, somewhere that place is somewhere in between yeah. and how would you because to me a lot of the things that I think people align as self-love are really more like self-care really a basically just even like the human vehicle not even really the soul (laughs) so if we were let's say we took like the human body out of it our like sack of flesh and bones right that was off the table like that was already healthy what are the things that you would focus on as a self-love practice for just your soul that just resides in the physical body um I for just the soul I would do more meditation. Um, I technically do it now, but not in the way that I like would like to expand to. Um, and I would definitely find more community practices. So I have a community. I have multiple communities that are spiritual and are on the soul journey along with me. But I don't have as much time to devote right now because of the kids to going and attending those different things, whether it's um, yoga classes or group ritual or um, just like celebrating spiritual holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, Because even though I am not, I don't self-identify as a Christian, I do actually enjoy going to like a giant Catholic mass on Christmas because it's beautiful to watch. It's like this old tradition and it's, like a nice theater show (laughs) but it's still like 
there's a child part of me that enjoys it because I was raised in it. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like I'm still feeding my soul that connection because now I have my own way of connecting to God. So it doesn't matter what they're saying up front. It's just I like the songs and like there's this joy aspect mm-hmm. that I think is involved in self-love for the soul. If it brings you joy, like if you go outside and you're just staring at the ocean like for hours. And I used to do that when I lived in California. I would just go to the ocean and I miss that. Um, so I'm trying to find yeah, that in the desert. In yeah. <laughs> trying to find, like, I used to go hiking frequently before I had the kids and I would just go up to the top of the mountain and meditate up there and like sitting at the top of the mountain after a big long hike and seeing the whole valley in front of you and just feeling both kind of that measure of of distance of like I'm so small and this world is so big but also I'm a part of all of this and like all of this is inside of me and like that that oneness the soul likes to experience I think is a gift of self-love to soul and I think it's great that we ended up there because one of the things I've interviewed a few different people on this subject and one of the things that always seems to come about is this either critical experience to achieve self-love or a pivotal moment on the way to self-love is this experience of separation of some kind. Like Mm -hmm. you have to be alone to work on self-love. You can't really work on self-love with other people because typically they tend to serve as a bit of a distraction. That was my biggest lesson. And what age did you start to learn that? Because I think, you know, there's certain ages where we really lean into our friends and the identity of our friends, and it's usually not until we take a step back and have some distance that we start to explore that. I think I didn't grasp that aspect of self-love at all until I was at least 25. Um, And, again, it was just tapping the surface. Uh, I would say... Just before I met Anton is when, like, the true moment of, like, I don't need anyone else in the world, but I love everyone else in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, That feeling of, like, there is no one else to complete me because I am a whole person. Therefore, I'm ready to love another whole person. Um, And it took me being alone for a little bit. And I was dating and stuff, and I realized, like, how much of the validation that I was getting from other people was actually preventing me from learning what I needed mm-hmm. and what I wanted and what me as an individual could give myself without anybody else's attention. My journey is like the opposite of Anton's. I needed everybody else's approval for the longest time. And now I'm like, screw it. <laughs> I, if you love me, great, because I will love you back. And if you don't, great, because then that means I'm reflecting something to you. And we'll be lessons for each other. love that. And really, at the end of the day, and this has been true for every single person that has been interviewed so far, where that friction starts is in the need for validation or to have other people somehow reflect something about yourself or your identity or who you are. Mm-hmm. So it is a really important thing for everybody that's listening. You know, if you find yourself avoiding alone time and always needing to be surrounded by other people it's no wonder that you are here still seeking answers to you know the elusive question of why can't I love myself Mm -hmm. because you're distracted with other people and you have to just like in a relationship where sometimes you've got to go into the really 
dark, sticky places to come out having learned a lesson. It's absolutely that way with yourself too. And this, like, this was one of the lessons I learned from the tarot when I started reading tarot. Mm -hmm. My, like, astrological sign is Virgo, and the card that lines up with that is the hermit. And the hermit scares the hell out of people who aren't in a place of self-love because that's what it teaches. And a lot of people don't realize that, but it's about going inside, going into the darkness, and lighting the lamp. Like, you have to be able to find your own light inside. What are some things that you do to actually light your own lamp? I'm really big on learning, um, well, learning in general, but learning, like, different uh, spiritual and mystical practices. Um, I dove into a couple of them very um, very deeply from the outset, and one was um, ecstatic witchcraft, which is all about being connected to nature, being connected to yourself, being connected above and below. And a lot of people hear witchcraft and they get really scared and they're like, oh, she's like brewing things in her cauldron and she's going to put a curse on me and turn me into a frog. I can tell you sitting here in my conference room across from her, that's not happening. No. <laughs> this yeah. is focus, focus. I mean, it'd be fun to fly on a broom. I would love that, but that's not witchcraft. Witchcraft is, um, which comes from the word wick. Um, which is to bend or to shape. So it's being able to create your reality. A lot of people don't know they're doing magic, quote-unquote, when they're doing intention setting and manifestation and vision boards. All those things, you're shaping your reality. You're bending what is there into a shape that's going to suit the world for the better. And that's always what a lot of people say in witchcraft is, as long as it doesn't harm anyone, do as you will. But I think as long as it's going to make everything better, do mm-hmm. as you will. And, um, and I always say, um, this or something better, this or something greater when I'm doing my, my work, because I feel like that allows, um, wiggle room for the universe to open up in ways that I can't even dream or imagine. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, the type of practice I do, you use chanting and you use breath work and you use, um, all the old ancient techniques that people from around the world have used, shamans from around the world have used to transcend this reality essentially and open up into the higher planes of existence and the higher dimensions to shift what's going on in this one. And um, I work a lot with entities who exist on the other sides, Mm -hmm. um, especially goddesses. Those just like make my heart sing. And so the more that I was able to embody their stories in a sense, like I would, I would read their myth and I would read their legends and some of them, they might seem scary or sad or heartbreaking or different things, but there's lessons and all of that. And kind of learning that pain and suffering are two different things. Pain is your body telling you Mm -hmm. uh, like a truth of something going on and suffering is you kind of indulging in it or... And I've just talked about that in an episode recently. So yeah, totally totally right there with you. And so like seeing that in the the goddess stories was really big for me and like learning that difference through them and then also learning how they shine. And it's like, okay, well, they all embody this divine feminine grace in different ways they're like facets on a crystal and the crystal is the goddess but then she has all these different faces and like we all have different faces and what is my light where am I going to shine and kind of learning that and learning where my 
gifts are for natural um, light to come through. And at first I was very attention seeking and I wanted it to be like, look at me on stage, look at me dance, look at me perform, look at me sing and speak and just me, 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 me. And I thought that was me shining light, but that was me living in the light, like being in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And then I started to shift out of that and realized, okay, actually I shine brighter when I'm more quiet, when I sit still longer, when I listen more and just kind of moving into a, a space of not like the backstage or background, but more like support and service and facilitating community as opposed to trying to be the spotlight. And the more that I did my personal work around that, um, I was really resistant at first. I was like, no, no, no. I've spent my entire life learning about theater and dance and like training my voice and learning how to speak in all these different ways. And I don't want to give up all that work. And I realized, no, that that was the work. That was the path to bring me to this point. Like a yoga class, you do all the asana to get to shavasana. Mm -hmm. And so living in that shavasana space was like, okay, this this is actually more my light. And when you said earlier, like, oh, you're so grounded, you're so calm. I didn't used to be at all. I remember one of my mentors, I looked up to her so much. I thought she was the coolest person in the world. She was a witch too. And she wore all black. Her hair was black. She read tarot. She did Reiki. She did all the things. And I was like, you're amazing. You're so cool. Why don't you have a boyfriend? And she's like, because... I'm waiting for the right one. It's like, what's that about? Waiting stupid. <laughs> and she was like, no, I've written the list. And until he fulfills every aspect of this, it's not worth my time. And I was like, isn't that a little stuck up? And she's like, no, that's me holding a standard. That's mm -hmm. me um, living up to my values. That's me knowing that the universe is getting this guy ready to be with me. Because he's not going to be ready until he meets all of this. And then I'm not going to like stand for it until he's able to hold me to my highest standards. And I was like, whoa, that's deep. And now she's living in Hawaii with her partner of her dreams and having a baby. And like, she did it. Wow. She manifested it. And I watched her do it and was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> it reminds so, me of that movie, Practical Magic. Did you see that one where is. she like writes the whole list and she's like, one blue eye, one blue eye. That was she likes my, to ride horses backwards. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably my favorite movie. Practical magic. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out which one of them I was, if I was Jilly or Sally. Mm. And I realized I'm not. I'm one of the aunts. Like Totally. <laughs> already past that. And so I, I found this space of like, okay, if I'm holding this guy of my dreams to these standards, what's he holding me to? Where do I need to work on myself before I meet him? And started letting go of a lot of the things that I was so attached to happening um, because I realized that they were just a fantasy and not a vision mm. and that there's like a difference between those How would two. you describe the difference for the people that are trying to wrap their <laughs> brains around it? I think a vision is something where you're open to what the details look like, but you have a dream for how you're going to make like an impact 
Mm. So like purpose behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas a fantasy is like, I want this kind of house and this kind of car and this kind of person and this kind of job and these kinds of clothes. And you have all the details. Um, and it's like this magical looking life, but it doesn't have substance. Mm. It doesn't have like the drive. And you can have some of those details in the vision, but it's like in alchemy where if you're trying to transform lead to gold just for the gold, you're never going to get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're trying to transform lead to gold to learn about the process of refining your soul, you're going to get the philosopher's stone. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that balance. I think the, the fantasy is going for the gold and the vision is transforming your soul. So on that note, how, cause I think this is, we're touching on a few. Yeah. We just, we took, we just took a sharp left. How much of choosing to be on this earth plane right now in a human body do you think is for the purpose of doing something greater than yourself or contributing to the world in some way? Like what is your, what is your view on why human beings come to earth? Cause I feel like that's, that's that question where I feel like a lot of people get stuck because no matter how they try to prioritize things in their life or making decisions or even envisioning their future, they come back to that question like, well, why the fuck am I even here? Like, I don't even understand why I'm in a bag of bones. <laughs> back to you. That is, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's, we're walking in human suits. We're souls walking in human suits. Um, I, I had a few theories I sat in a few plant medicine ceremonies. Those theories changed. Um, <laughs> and um, part of what I believe, and this may not be true for everyone, but for me, it's that we already are these higher evolved beings, and we want to experience what it's like to have to get back to that. Mm. Um, I, Because I think we all started as one, and then it got fragmented because the universe wanted to experience itself. It's like Mm. when everything is so perfect and so calm and you kind of want a breeze to blow um, and just that moment of of like entropy and not knowing what's going to happen next. um, And I think eventually we all are going to get back and it's going to happen again and again and again and again. And, um, like the relationship between chaos and calm, the yin and the yang. Yeah. After long enough, you're like, all right, some something happened, even if it's chaotic. We need to shake exactly. Up. Like you, you want to have that kind of sudden burst of energy because mm. the universe wants to experience itself. Um, and I think when we, it's it's like when you see your child do something for the first time. Like I saw Blue brush his teeth. He had the toothbrush. And he normally doesn't know what to do with it. And he, like, scrubbed because he was looking at me. I was like, you brush your teeth. You're almost two years old. This is crazy. And I think when we meditate for the first time, the universe is doing a happy dance. When we um, experience self-love truly, like, where we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, my gosh, I love you so much. This is amazing. And then all of your guides and master teachers and guardians and angels, everyone around you is throwing a party because they're like, yes, she reached this point. Finally, we're so happy for her. Okay, what's the next milestone? And it's like they're excited to watch the journeys. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we as humans love to watch other stories. So I'm sure that we are playing out this massive story that all these beings are watching. 
mm-hmm. um, and we get to cycle in and out of that. We get to eventually become the teachers who are watching. We get to eventually become or simultaneously are. You think about yeah, depending on like how many dimensions Ooh, we are in. <laughs> so there's, I think, a beauty in that of like getting to experience things for the first time again getting to be a child again Mm -hmm. and we always come in with this like amnesia of we don't know where we've been before and some of us are a little more connected like Sarai where they do know where they've been before (laughs) but Sarai's grandmother got her this well us this kids book when she was little and I'm trying to remember what it was called but basically in the book it's a soul that's about to be born Mm. and she's sitting with all of her master teachers and you know in some different dimension and she's sitting with you know what I would imagine would probably be like a godlike figure and she's basically asking all these questions like why did I choose to do this what am I like what's going to happen to me and you know I'm going to miss you so much I'm going to miss all of you so much how could I possibly why would I choose to do this and God basically was just saying you know this is this is something that we all go through. It's part of our journey. And even though it's hard for you to imagine, you're going to forget about me. And she was like, no, I could never forget about you. And he's like, no, you're going to forget about me very like sooner than you think. And then she's like looking at all of her master teachers and guides. And she's like, but I'm not going to forget about you. Like, I don't think I could live without you. And they're like, no, you're going to forget about all of us. But it's your job to find us again. Yeah. You know, so she like all of a sudden comes out in the delivery room and all she can do is you know, think of, you know, this is cold, that mask looks scary. She's having this experience of like, why, how could I, why would I choose to go from that to this hospital room? But it kind of tracks through her journey of actually getting back to that place of remembering like, ah, this is where I came from and that's part of the journey. So it's a pretty cool kid's book. But I think it speaks to kind of It's that exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think also, I mean, getting to experience the act of creation, like, I chose to be born as a woman this lifetime so that I could experience creation. And that totally shifted my life when I got pregnant the first time. It was like, oh my gosh, I am I'm a gateway for another soul right now. Like this being is coming through me and I get to be his mother. I get to experience what it's like for him to go through this thing that we're talking about where he's coming in and he's so disoriented and who knows where he's been before this and he's this huge bright beautiful spirit and now he's this tiny little baby who's so helpless and I'm the only one who can provide what he needs right now and I get to and I get to help him uh, learn to speak the language of this world so that he can then go and find all the other languages of the universe on its own and I get to watch that happen and how beautiful is that that I get to just watch him grow that's amazing and like getting cherry eyed and then he calls in his brother who's like this other beautiful little baby and we had back to back babes yeah <laughs> everyone was just pregnant for like two years I was pregnant for two years um, but like because of that I was living in this creation space just fully embodying that aspect of the sacred feminine I am here to birth and to make and to create and to be um, grounded and the earth and like really connecting into that earth energy because you have to um, really tapping into meditation because there are moments because I tandem nurse where I couldn't get up because I had a baby on each boob and um, was sunk in the couch and was like well if I move at least one of them will wake up. And if one of them wakes up, he's going to wake up the other one because that cry does it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want them to wake up right now because they need a nap. But I can't get up 
okay. So I just have to be here and, and be still. And I don't have my phone. I don't have a book. <laughs> I don't have any access to any media or anybody else. There's no other humans in the house. There's two dogs. I just have to be with myself. And so, like, it was mandatory. Mandatory self-love. Yeah. And I would just stare at the trees. And I would be like, I have the most beautiful backyard. It's the tiniest backyard. We have two trees. But they were everything for those moments where I would just watch their leaves blow. And it was, like, the ultimate Zen meditation where mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there holding two babies. And everyone's like, you're so grounded. I, I mean, I think maybe even in that moment with their, what people sometimes, I think, refer to as groundedness as we're talking about it is maybe just presence. Like, mm-hmm. not thinking about the future, stressing about the future, and not also kind of having these emotional nostalgic ties to the past, but just being exactly right there and paying attention to all the details. In that moment. So you brought up something that has been a topic that keeps coming up for me, and I, it can, it can get toward a taboo subject, but I just, I think we don't spend enough time digging into stuff like this on the topic of kind of this like sacred birth experience and like being able to like hold that creative space and what that journey is like and that there was some aspect of you that chose to have that I guess it's a two-part question do you think we spend enough time as a society educating about like the sacred nature of birth (laughs) hell no and then if and also then what can we do about it because I think you know as much as women want to you know our, you know, our body, our rights, things like that. I don't, and I'm, you know, I'm totally all for every woman having her right to choose. But part of me also wonders just as somebody that takes the soul journey seriously and spirituality seriously, I wonder what we can do to start getting people to just think in a more holistic, spiritual way about abortion. Because I think a lot of people actually, it's like they're cutting off their own journey and some of the stuff that they could have been experiencing. What do you, what's your opinion on that? And where can, where can we just more be of service or educate. I think the whole my body, my choice is important. Yeah. I do. Um, I would not say that I am pro-choice or pro-life. I'm not either. I'm like pro the person. Totally. Um. (laughs) And I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm the same. I just, this is more like, what can we do to help? Because I think a lot of it is just not having support or education. I think, I mean, well, the first thing I think is as a culture, as a whole, we don't respect three core things. One is um, women's bodies as they begin to mature. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't embrace menarche ceremonies, which is first menstruation. We don't yeah. give women um, actual knowledge about their bodies until way too late for the most part because with all the hormones in the milk, um, girls are starting their periods at 9 and 10 or even like I hate to say earlier, but I think I heard about one girl who was eight. I was, I was nine. Yeah, I was ten. And <laughs> my mom was like, ah, oh, you're dying. And then she's like, wait, no, I think it's just your period. I told my mom, I think I'm dying. There's blood coming out of me. And she was like, it can't. Oh, my God. And she realized it was. She didn't start till she was 15. So she had no expectations. She had not prepped me at all. I had no idea what was going on with me. I thought I was dying. And I had terrible cramps. So it was like my body was shutting down. And so as a culture, we don't embrace that change, um, that rite of passage the way we used to. Like, you used to have, um, like, a uh, – what is it for the girls? It's um, in Jewish 
tradition. Oh, a bat mitzvah? Bat, bat mitzvah. I was mm-hmm. like, it's not a bar mitzvah. It's close. <laughs> so there, there used to be a celebration around that time of like, okay, now you're entering womanhood. And it's because of that. That's when you used to start menstruating. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if women were given first the knowledge about their bodies a little bit younger, just like, okay, here are your fingers, here are your toes, here are your hips, here are your shoulders, these are your ovaries, this is your uterus, like, you have it inside you, just like a stomach and a liver, and, like, learn the anatomy in a way that it's normal and natural and not taboo. Yeah, not tied to guilt and shame and kind of, like, a rejection of your sexuality. Uh, guess what? You get to flow with the moon. The moon has cycles and you have cycles and you move with it. And like embracing that we're all one aspect again, um, I think would really help. And then second, I don't think there's enough sex education because the culture is so repressed around sexuality and in general. And so the answers in school are always like abstinence or get married. (laughs) It's like, those aren't real choices. That's not right. realistic. Um, how about you tell the kids how to have safe sex? How about you tell the kids how to actually respect their bodies enough and love their bodies enough to not just give it away to everyone for a social reputation? Like, let's talk about what it's like to exchange that energy with someone and have their energy in your aura for weeks and months and years even oh, yeah. after you've had sex with them. Like, And kind of bringing it again to the holistic aspect of like, this is what sex is, and it's beautiful, and it's a gift. And kind of bringing more of the, like, sacred spirituality back into sex, which obviously yeah, in our country, of, they avoid it. Like and so, crazy. yeah, sacred sex. This is a banana, and this is a condom. You're like, well, I guess we're all fucked then. Here's, here's two men. Here's two women. Here's a man and a woman. Choose. <laughs> yeah. These are what the bodies look like. Doesn't matter what your gender is. This is the physical aspect of what it goes on. And this is the energetic aspect of what goes on. This is how you trade who's in the masculine and who's in the feminine. Mm-hmm. Even in a male gender and a female gender relationship, there is a flow between the two. And like it, giving kids that understanding of you have it all inside of you and you're going to energetically exchange just as much as you do physically, I think would shift so much. And it wouldn't be this like either complete abstinence or rampant sexuality like we see which again it's that get off the teeter-totter and just stand next to it and like embody it so sacred menstruation sacred sexuality I think would then lead to sacred birth yeah and sacred abortion where like maybe the woman has like you know had something unfortunate happen to her with trauma and sexual abuse and ends up pregnant of course she should have the choice to not birth that child because if if in her healing process that's not part of it then she needs to have the support network who's going to embrace her and help her through the pain and trauma that is abortion Mm because it is trauma to the body totally and so there are some people who are starting to be doulas for abortion Mm. like sacred um releasing of the the body matter that could potentially grow into a child essentially Mm because if you do it early enough the embryo it's like it's so small but it's still so much 
Yeah, I mean, all Eastern cultures say that the consciousness comes in 42 days after conception. So, right. And that seems to be pretty, I mean, from culture to culture, that seems to be pretty consistent without them having to, like, you know, it's not like they sat down there like, all right, everybody put 42 days, you know? So there's mm-hmm. got to be some... Yeah, it's like the what they call the quickening, when you can mm-hmm. feel the first movements, the yeah. first little bubbles of movement, that's when the soul comes in. Yeah. So I feel like if our culture could embrace that idea, then there would be a lot less stigma and therefore a lot less trauma um, because there is so much stigma and shame attached to it. Then there's a lot of women who hold the repressed emotions inside and that builds up and turns into PTSD. And so you have like this crazy snowball effect. Totally agree. And I think part of, I actually, so I had an abortion when I was 19. It was honestly one of the most traumatic experiences of my whole life. I didn't want to get it. I got bullied into it. It's still, like, to this day, one of those things where I'm like, ugh. Um, And on a side note, and I was telling Anton this, like, I knew then that it was Sarai. Like, I was far enough along that I was really attached to the baby. I knew it was a girl. And, I I mean, I was far enough along that I did know eventually that it was a girl. Um, but I also knew when I got pregnant again later on, I was like, oh, my God, this is the same. Yeah, this is amazing. But it it leads you to a place where, like, again, I think there needs to be more more spirituality or, like, soul-level conversation involved in the abortion process. So it's, like, it's not like it just, you know, it's not like going to the doctor and, like, you know, getting a laser facial that's Mm going to be painful for a few days. You know, like, there's something more to it. And having more like, spiritual conversation or reflection about, like, what is actually happening on a higher plane? Mm-hmm. Is this a choice that you want to make out of fear, or is this a choice that, you know, yeah. maybe you decided or you wanted to come here to experience? this soul who's coming into you giving you this lesson yeah, so exactly. that you can then help someone else through it mm-hmm. and, like... Or maybe they're just so excited to be with you, they came a little early, right. and you're like, please wait, please wait. Like, I'm almost there. I'm almost ready. Yeah. And so I think there's... I've heard like one or two other people say that where they had an abortion when they were very young, like a teenager. And then later when they were ready to become a mom, they were so, so excited to realize that it was the same baby and that Mm -hmm. they got to give birth to the baby that they weren't able to earlier. Yeah. And it like gives me chills every time. And it's like, no, the souls choose us. Like they choose intentionally and she wanted to be with you. And, and then that to be said, there's women who have miscarriages and they didn't want the abortion and they didn't want to lose the baby. Um, but maybe that baby was like, I just want to experience a tiny bit of being human and mm-hmm. then go back because I can't handle the whole process. And I think sometimes souls do that where they kind of yeah. like touch down. They're like, JK, it's too much. <laughs> I can't handle this right now. Okay. I mean, so I touched down for, you know. She came in and then died for 20 minutes and then came back. So she had a, that moment where I was, like, very aware of her making a choice to stay. Yeah. Because um, they know it's not going to be easy. But no. that's part of the fun is mm-hmm. that growth, that learning, that journey. And then I think if we can bring that sacredness back to abortion and to miscarriage and those understandings of how the souls are moving in and out and different purposes and different lessons that we're getting, then the birth process is going to be so much more respected because it'll be seen in this light of like, instead of like avoidance and chaos and what we see on the media, it'll be like ritual and ceremony and very intentional and 
welcoming and you're understanding that the soul has made the choice to be a human, which is a crazy fucking choice. Yeah. So like, let's give them the easiest transition that they can have so that they feel as safe and as held and loved as possible. And um, I was really, really, really blessed that I got to do that with both my babies. And most moms don't because either they haven't been given the education um, I went out and sought that education. I saw the business of being born like 10 years before I even thought I wanted a kid um, and really uh, was changed by that. Like that just shifted my whole mentality around birth. And so at the time I was like, I don't think I'm going to have kids. But now that I know this, if I find out a friend is, ha- is having a kid, then I'm going to make her watch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was, I watched that and that was why I had a home birth with Sarai and obviously yeah. I had all my birth complications. So, so many people are like, exactly. do you totally regret it now? And it's like, no. And in fact, I had my son at the hospital and like did everything traditional, even though Sarai's outcome, like my daughter has cerebral palsy and it was very traumatizing at the end. If I were to compare the two birth experiences, hands down, my birth with Sarai was a way less traumatic experience. It was just traumatic at the very end, but the whole thing start to finish at the hospital was an actual nightmare. Yeah. And I mean, there's some women who are like, oh yeah, it's fine. And I'm wondering if that's like when, and I'm not judging, I'm just curious because I never had a hospital birth, so I don't have that understanding. But like some women are like, oh, it was great. We went in and it was so easy. And I wonder if it's just because they don't know that there are other options. It's like growing up only eating McDonald's and not knowing that there's real food, Mm -hmm. like that there's healthy, beautiful, fresh food. Um, And so they're like, yeah, my Happy Meal was great. And so I think if our culture could shift to understanding that the other aspects of birth beyond just the physical realm and beyond trying to numb the pain and moving through and with the pain, um, then it would be a lot better. But that's also, that's something else that I think a lot of people are really afraid of. They're like, oh, it's so painful. I'm like, if you let it be. But well, and, <laughs> and you don't, you don't remember it. Like you, you really, you just don't. Like I, I can go back to the moments because obviously I was in labor with Sarai for like 36 hours with no anything. I was in like a fucking Walmart baby pool in my little jungle hut bathroom. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm sure it was incredibly painful. I was like pushing for five hours. Oh, wow. But I don't, if I, I, rem, I have a photographic memory. I can remember any moment in my life. I don't remember anything with that type of like physical pain response. Like I remember more about scraping my knee rollerblading when I was nine than I do that experience. I, I mean, my birth story is like, that's a whole other podcast too. But yeah. um, like in a nutshell, Lou was eight hours of active labor and Quest was three. Um, but I was also, I did, I did a lot of prep work around, um, things that are like hypnobirthing and there's this one book called orgasmic birth, which is amazing. And I was setting so many attentions and setting like so much, um, work on, on where I had blocks during the pregnancy that might become a block in labor because a lot of people don't realize like the emotional and mental blocks are what it's actually dragging things out mm-hmm. um, sometimes it is physical and sometimes like with blue um, my cervix wasn't fully effaced and so it couldn't dilate anymore and so we did have to do some physical maneuvers of like leg twists and lying twists in order to kind of just like ease around yeah, it around. and that was the most painful part 
that I remember was having to lie still during a contraction. But because I was dancing, because I was rocking, I was swaying, I was walking, I was doing so many movements to help my hips open with that, um, I, I don't remember the pain as pain. I just remember it as a very intense feeling, like a very, like, overwhelming, can't speak, but at the same time, like, excitement, because I knew with every contraction that my baby was getting closer, Mm -hmm. and so, like, just shifting that perspective, I think, was so big, Um, and again, it's it's a cultural thing of shifting perspective around pain, where a lot of people run from pain, Mm -hmm. and they're afraid of pain. But, like, you do a booty class, you're going to experience some pain. But you know it's good. And you're, like, you're sitting there, and you're, like, my thigh is burning. My thigh is burning as you're doing the movement. And I'm getting stronger. And I'm getting better. And I'm I'm in this. And look how strong my body is. And look how beautiful I am moving. And, oh, my gosh, it's over. And I think that's how it is with birth. I think that's why prenatal yoga is so important. It's because mm-hmm. you're doing this repetitive movement in prenatal yoga classes, and you don't know when it's going to end, and the teacher's like, come on, keep going. You're going to have a contraction like this someday. And you're experiencing that feeling of letting the, the mental chatter of once it's going to end, once it's going to end, release. Yeah, so and like then, forcing you to stay present, not just yeah, stressing about the future that you can't control in it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, this is what my body's going through right now. I'm, let's fully live in it. Let's fully experience what this sensation is. Like, where is this pain emanating from? Okay, I can feel it lower down on my pelvis. Oh, that's the baby's head. And suddenly there's an awareness that comes through the pain. And I think if you ignore the pain, then you don't have that awareness. And then you end up tearing or you end up having, like, other complications and issues. And it's because you're avoiding the actual process that's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's such a lesson for life of, like, if you avoid the pain in life, you never spiritually ever and I think those two babies have taught me more in the past three years than I learned in the first 30 of my life and so I think if birth can be viewed in that sense too like and that's part of why I brought it up because I think so many people also they get afraid of the responsibility or the fear of the unknown and they actually because it's I don't think there is enough discussion or, like, thought process about abortion. It's it's so easy yeah. that a lot of people, I think, accidentally rob themselves of a lesson. So I guess it's just something that I've been thinking about a lot lately just because I think, like, abortion rates are on the rise so much. And I think that every, like, if our generation didn't really view sexuality as sacred, like, the generation now, it's even less yeah. so. So I just wonder directionally, like... There's so many things that have tied back to this conversation of self-love where really what's missing is the like these kind of sacred awarenesses and rituals. And even I was just thinking, like, so many cultures had a rite of passage that involved you being forced to be alone with yourself for a yeah. few days, you know? And sure. that seems to be the common thread here of, you know, whether it's you or Anton or Jade or any people that we've talked to on this episode, to go into that place you have to in the same way with birth like you've got to bump up against all of your pain and fear and the things that are living inside on your own without being able to rest on another like we have to move through those things and get through the pain yeah and choose growth instead of suffering because I think in those situations growth and suffering are really like you either learn and you grow or you just stay in the pain and you suffer and you just stay there so I just got chills on that yeah 100%. So what do you think we can do to start 
opening up just even like for a lot of our listeners that have kids, what are some things that you would suggest doing just for our own children, knowing that obviously it's not like we can necessarily go into the school system and be like, listen up, this is what's going on. All the third graders. Yeah. What can we, what can we do for our own children to hopefully start to bring some of this back into alignment? Because I think it's just, like I said, I mean, if it was bad when we were little, it's even worse. So now. I think part of it is, is having that awkward conversation. And I'm not looking forward to it, but I'd also, I don't have to do it as much because Anton's there. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the man that they look to to talk to about how their bodies work and what to do with the penises that they have. Oh, um, my son's penis is always out. <laughs> it's like, okay, these little hippie children running oh, around. Yeah. But uh, my youngest just discovered his, and it's really adorable, but also like... You're going to have to do something with that someday. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of grateful that I don't have a girl, but kind of like also wishing that I could have a daughter eventually. So I do get to experience what it's like to um, facilitate this for her. Because it's not about me uh, teaching her what I know. It's not about me um, like making her learn certain things. It's about me opening up the pathways. And I, I think that's probably a good way to look at it is you give them the options and you say like, okay here is is one way that you could live your life and it's what a lot of your friends are going to be doing and some of them might pressure you to do this here's another way you could live your life and that's what they did in like the 1400s in monasteries and here's another way that you could live your life the 1400s is what grandma's going to tell you to do and then here's this other way that all your friends at school are yeah (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so like and just kind of talk about okay, this is the way that I'm living my life and it's what's working for me and this is how we've kind of shown you the universe and you can decide, does this look like a good model? And if not, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation of why it's not working. So just keep the door open for communication and without judgment. And I think it's so, so hard um, because people are afraid of talking to their kids about sex because they don't want them to do it. They're like, oh, but if you tell them too soon, then they're going to be like 12-year-olds having sex. And it's like, or if you don't tell them and their friends at school are like, hey, you want to try this new fun thing? It feels really good. Yeah, um, and then afterwards they're like, oh, my God, I think I might have just had sex, yeah. but I don't even know what it is. So I don't it's know like, oh, my God. So why not make them aware? And it, I think it's a delicate process that's different for every individual, of course. Like, you don't know when to tell them, but... Like, Anton was dating at third grade. He had a girlfriend. He was very excited to kiss her. Like, he was he was probably ready to hear the conversation a lot earlier than some boys who were like, girls, ew, in seventh grade. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's also hard to judge of, like, when. And only parents can do that. And maybe it's, like, less about schools and more about parents and individual parents kind of preparing their kids to understand what their bodies are doing as it's happening. So like, as you notice it, as you see them growing, then just opening up the conversation and then opening up the doorways that they can walk through. And And not guilting and shaming them so young that that door is not even implicitly open anymore. And I see that happen a lot, even when kids are just like starting to explore their privates, try to masturbate themselves to sleep, which that's a thing. I've yeah. seen my daughter started doing it really young. And there was one instance where Chris, his inclination was to scold her. And I was like, no, no, that's not what we're going to do here. You can redirect and be like, I asked you to go to sleep. It's time to go to sleep. But you can't shame what they're doing and make them afraid of their own yeah. apparatus, so to speak. So I think some of it even starts 
like long before you even get to the sexual conversation. It's like if you start to shut them down and make them embarrassed of that area of their body, you can't really expect naturally for some like communication door to open all of a sudden at 12 and be like, you shamed me for masturbating, but now let me talk to you about my sexual experiences. And that's such a taboo for, I think, almost everybody on every level because I think it goes back to self-love. You Mm -hmm. don't, like, people haven't been giving themselves pleasure in a sense and they they've been denying themselves for so long they see a child doing it and they're like that's bad that's evil and it's like no it's natural yeah and where does that even come from i mean christianity i know i was gonna say religious (laughs) um but my i remember hiding it from my parents like hiding it a lot but i think they knew um and they just didn't know how to talk about it they're like oh my god she might have discovered something but like let's pretend we don't see it so that it goes away Um, and I remember not knowing what I was doing until I was in high school and the youth group at the church split up the girls and the boys to do the sex with God conversation. Um, like God doesn't want you to do this with your body. Like, even though he created it, so stupid. Um, and the boys were all told not to watch porn and not masturbate. And the girls were all told to save themselves for their husbands. Like that was the only conversation that went on. Mm-hmm. And when we got back together, because we do, because we're kids, so we talk about what was said, um, the boys were like, yeah, they said don't masturbate. And I was like, what's that? And they, everybody looked at me like, are you crazy? And I was like, no, I really don't know what that word means. And they're like, it's when you touch yourself. Like, You're like, oh, I've been doing that for years. It was ridiculous to have to learn it that way. Yeah. As well, opposed- and kids do it naturally to try to put themselves to sleep. Like if yeah. they're having trouble falling asleep. Or they do it in bathtubs. Yeah. Like, like I said, I saw my son do it, and he's enjoying himself and laughing, and I was like, okay, it feels good. And my son calls it you. having a, mama got a big one. I'm like, all right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> At least if you're going to do that, just, just yeah, you know, go to your, go do something yourself. else. Go outside. Try go not howl to like you. a wolf. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> do your thing. So I think if we as parents can start to shift that perspective of, like, like you said, exactly what you said, not shaming. It's just what your body wants to do. And, like, yeah, don't sit in your room all day and do it. That's not healthy either. But, like, if you need it to go to sleep, just go to sleep afterwards. <laughs> and, like, let yourself feel what it's like to have that release because that's what it is. You have tension built up during the day. Yeah, I mean, it really release. is. It's like a mus- muscle cramp and then a release. Yeah. That's it. The tension release. So I think um, – That's what God's going to punish you for, people. <laughs> cramp and release. oh my gosh and then I think that also the mentality of Christianity has so infiltrated western society um and not even Christianity I mean like if you look at Judeo-Christian just all of that yeah whatever was decided at the council of Nicaea those books Mm -hmm. those things have so permeated our collective unconscious that shame and guilt are and sin are just kind of naturally in the the goo that is all of our minds. And so then self-love um, isn't even possible because you're taught to hate your body. You're taught to hate the way your mind works. You're taught to hate the way other people's minds and bodies work. You're taught to hate the, the majority of the planet actually because it's not perfect anymore so therefore you can just wreck it and there's this 
this weird kind of like dissociation from other people. You only like you only want to be ahead. Like mm-hmm. everything from the neck down is bad. And even like what's going on in the brain is bad. So let's just say crown chakra. They only want to be a crown chakra and they only want to connect to God. And that's the only good thing. And everything else is bad. And therefore they can't love themselves because they're imperfect. Well, and I would argue that in doing so, the one thing that they're always going to rob themselves of is their actual true connection to oh, something for beyond, sure. you know? And I think that that's definitely intentional. Because all for a their whole, chakras are... yeah. On, they're like just that's so for bad. another conspiracy theory yeah. episode. <laughs> oh yeah, who's doing this uh, to us and who's why? Shutting down our chakra system, and then but that's people do idea. it in in other spiritual practices too. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, there's some yogis that are so into self abnegation and body torture that they like they really just live in caves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just as unhealthy and just as totally mind controlling. And so. Um, like you said earlier, like, why are we here? We're here to experience what it is to be human. We're here to connect. We're here to have relationships. We we're, we incarnated into these bodies in order to have these interactions and these conversations. Like, my soul wanted to talk to your soul today. So you reached out and you're like, hey, let's sit down and chat mm-hmm. because we want to connect. We want to experience what it's like to be separate and come together. Mm-hmm. And if you are constantly trying to just separate yourself from everything and everyone, then we'll just go back to being a spirit form because that's not what being human is about. Mm-hmm. And one of my amazing meditation teachers, Lauren Roche, he um, translated the Radiant Sutras, um, the Bhairavi Tantras. And um, his book is so phenomenal it could be like a daily meditation because it's like one verse in English and then in um readable Sanskrit like in our letters and then in the actual Sanskrit mm-hmm. so you can see what it looks like and it's this um Shiva Shakti talking back and forth to each other and it's about that exchange and that achieving consciousness and bliss through connection and through loving yourself so much that you have to love someone else mm-hmm. like that you have so much love it's pouring out and over and um, being able to experience that as the goal of life as opposed to just trying to escape. And how Shiva had it. He was sitting there, pure consciousness. He had no bliss. That's why he needed Parvati to come and sit with him. Mm-hmm. So it's like we need each other in that sense in order to mirror and interact and grow. But we have to be able to be in that self-space first. Totally agree. And that's really the the goal of this podcast, which seems to be, as I keep bringing more people into the conversation, it's probably going to end up being like three podcasts, but <laughs> it seems to be the one thing that people seek and they seek it in a way that is really meant to just make them feel like a failure and not enough again, because they're not really going after it in a way that has like a measurable expectation or a clearly defined path. And I think that's really what I was hoping to get through in this podcast is hearing what other people define it as and what the journey has looked like and what some of the obstacles toward achieving it have been. Cause I think the media, especially, and like, even if you look at like a lot of 
spiritual and yoga teachers and like the books that get published. It's like, well, just manifest it, just claim it. All you have to do is just affirm it. It's like, well, those are all just things actually where if it's only that and it's not backed up with the action and the commitment and willing to go through the pain and not just stay in the suffering, then it's those things are really just meant to lead you back to feeling like a failure and not feeling self-love again. It's not working out. Exactly. Because, I mean, really, like, intention setting, affirmations, mantras, all those things, those are, that's a step. That's one of the things, right? It's almost like setting your GPS coordinates, but you still have yeah. to start walking, yeah. you know? And um, it was my hope with this that people could start to see a bunch of, like, completely different people and different perspectives on this, but, and then also start to extract the common threads, which, to me, uh, like, in summary, it's, don't be afraid and avoid time alone because that's really where this process happens. And if you look back at ancient cultures, that was something that was really important. Like, well, yeah. it's time to become a man or it's time vision to become quest. a woman. Like vision quest, you're going out yeah. into the desert by yourself because that's where you you can't run. You can't, there's nothing to distract yourself. So, and I think a lot of our, like as a parent, you know, kids always want to be with you and they always want to be with other things and they always want distractions. And there are plenty of times where I have had to say to Zev, like, listen, I know that you don't want to go sit by yourself right now or like work through this, but the way you're behaving right now, the best thing that you can do is go cross your legs and sit in the corner. You're not being punished. This isn't time out. This is time in. Yeah. Like go within. Yeah. This isn't something, <gasps> Zev, did you hear me yeah. talking about you? I literally said that and Zev walked in. So perfect. Are you going to finish the podcast with us? Can you say hi to everybody on the podcast? Hi. What's your name? Yeah. And how old are you? What? And are you a wild man? Yeah. So those seem to be the common themes, and I think it's perfect that my little Zev just came in here. And Zev blew <laughs> Auntie Adrian's like, you escaped. <laughs> he escaped. So I just want to thank you for being here, and I'm sure we, I can already think of a million other episodes that we need to sit down and go through because there's so much content to dig into, and I really am so grateful for you just bringing your energy and all of your knowledge, which extends far beyond your few years on this planet because you're so (laughs) young. But guys, when you're with her, it feels like literally like eons of knowledge. I don't like I can feel the depth that you carry with you and I'm excited to be part of your journey. Thank you. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for having me and having me in the booty world and I took Amy's class last weekend for her birthday and it was phenomenal. It was like, it was 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 exactly what I needed. (laughs) You did great. And how can people find out more about you or follow you or just connect with you in some way? Well, right now I've, I've taken a step back from social media. You can still follow me. I'm still there. Um, which goddess mama, um, on Instagram. And I plan to go back. I'm just reevaluating what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually how I've been contacted before. Now, if you want to just go to my website, amysolara.com, it has like a contact and you can email me. I'm doing um, life coaching with Her Soul Story. It's like a women's company mm-hmm. and they're just launching this month, actually this weekend. Um, awesome. So I'll be available for coaching. Um, and I'm kind of trying to draw in the more spiritually inclined to something that might have seemed more like just um self-improvement or like business related kind of coaching I want it to be like higher level more higher level energy yeah so um and I love that it's called her soul story because that's what it is it's Mm -hmm. it's each woman's story of their soul so there's that but um yeah so website or hersoulstory.com and uh, 
hopefully once my babies are a little more used to being babysat, then I will be teaching more often. Um, but right now, I like holding them. She's a phenomenal mom. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Modern Good. To find out more about Break Method, head to breakmethod.com and to check out my workshops and public speaking schedule, busygold.com. I'll see you next week. Thank you.